healthcare in technology and practice has transformed in many ways, but its application and its accessibility seems to be perhaps too complex for its own good. Does the fundamental structure of healthcare need to be rethought? I mean, really rethought at the core, the structure, the, the, the mechanism itself, does it need an overhaul? I'm Craig James, your host, and you're listening to Big Audacious Idea, the show that invites you to think big. This season on Big Audacious Idea, we're examining the human experience in the face of uncertainty and change. Dr. Charu Ramanathan is not just an academic thinker. Yes, she's an accomplished graduate of Case Western Reserve's biomedical engineering program, and yes, she is responsible for transformative advancements in cardiac imaging technology, but she's also driven by passion for changing the way patients communicate and receive care from physicians and also each other. I have the pleasure of her joining us today on Big Audacious Idea to chat about how we can create a better healthcare system with an emphasis on understanding and owning our own healthcare as individuals and also how we can create a greater accessibility in healthcare to all. Charu, thank you for joining the show. Thank you, Craig, and I'm happy to be here and super excited to talk about this new concept in healthcare. We're thrilled to have you. And you know what's always helpful? To start things off, if you wouldn't mind, give us the quick one-two on you. Um, Charu Ramanathan, um, the doctor comes from a PhD, I'm not a medical doctor, came to the United States from Kochi, India to do my biomedical engineering. And the project that I worked on lended itself to a commercial enterprise. I founded my first company, Cardio Insight, and then moved on to another technology platform in not in health, uh, but in a global poverty alleviation called Lokyata that's based in Washington, D.C. now. And now I'm in my the project from my heart, which is Vital Exchange, which is a social health platform for patients by patients. I'm, I'm a healthcare entrepreneur. I'm really passionate about uh, reframing healthcare and changing the face of healthcare. Well, your story certainly brings together uh, the concept of healthcare technology, and entrepreneurship all in one. Uh, so often we think of those as separate domains in our society, and I think now more than ever before, boy, it's something, isn't it? With all the changes, you name it, from a pandemic to economic strain to the role of government and individuals and how we shift and deal with these changes, I think we're going to be seeing more and more of this, whether through self-sovereign examples of cryptocurrency or the use of blockchain or automation, AI, all these things are happening so quickly in so many parts of our lives. And this is the case in, in healthcare as well, isn't it? Absolutely. Absolutely. Maybe the best way to start, uh, Charu, is to, uh, we always like to look forward by looking back for a second. And when we think of health and healthcare, what, what do you think it's been? You know, how do we define the state of healthcare uh, as we look at the current state or perhaps to the past? Yeah. So I have, I have a lot of thoughts there. You know, healthcare is really defined by a system, right? A system meaning it's a set of organizations that are governed by certain rules, certain principles, whether the system has doctors, nurses, providers, payers, uh, brick and mortar buildings. It's a lot of that versus what it should be, which is really consumer centric definition in most other industries as 
what does a patient want? Uh, what does health mean in, in the context of not the delivery side, but on the receiving side? And what can we do to make patients' lives better? So healthcare has evolved from kind of a paternal aspect of medicine, uh, right from the Hippocratic Oath, the, those times where patients were not knowledgeable in what would keep them healthy. And that has evolved from, you know, infectious disease management where a small virus or a bacterial infection would really take out an entire population. Ironically, the times that we live in today with the pandemic is really, you know, the goal has evolved to prolong life at any cost uh, versus really ensuring that there should be quality of life. And really, medicine is about individuals. At the end of the day, the healthcare system cannot be more concerned about keeping me healthy than I am for myself, because health is perceived at an individual level. So I, I think that's the problem with healthcare is really that it has been very systemic. It has been created by a bunch of stakeholders that have created lack of accountability on both sides, which is the system side and the patient side, because the incentives are not aligned. So, you know, what's something about this, Charu, is the fact that healthcare is, and health, is such a personal, individual thing. It's all about the patient, as you said so well, yet our systems and institutions seem to have historically been so centralized. You know, what happened there, do you think, that created that payer-centric, system-centric approach? Was it out of necessity because technology just wasn't quite there yet? Um, I don't think so. I think that the healthcare system evolved philosophically from that exchange of, I would say, of that potential difference between the doctor who's very knowledgeable, who is a respectable figure, and the patient who traditionally is uninformed in health matters is basically lost because they have lost their health. And the doctor imparting their knowledge and kind of transforming or transferring the medicines or, or a cure to that patient. And so that was then. And since then, it's evolved to multiple systems. Let's take insurance and the payer systems. When healthcare costs started to go up, there was, and the predictability of one's health became a risk factor in many kind of underwriting, then insurance companies came about and they took the sponsorship of, you know, paying for someone's health. The problem is that's completely frayed the accountability on both sides, where patients think that they can lead any kind of life they want, and insurance will pay for it. And because insurance is paying for it, hospital systems don't really care about bringing down costs. And so you have this system that's already kind of put together with duct tape, and then you impose on it rules like the macro bill and Obamacare and things that really quality focus. Oh, we've got to improve patient experience. We've got to bring down costs. We've got to improve outcomes. Great statements, but because the system kind of grew out of different types of philosophies and incentives, it's not really aligning. And in fact, I do believe that the U.S. healthcare system is, is slightly worse off than other healthcare systems, only because the infrastructure does not support you know, non-fee-for-service outcomes-based medicine. And what's wonderful about the system is really the health and human services programs that really support the poor, support the elderly, 
great concepts, great program, but the cost control element is really, you know, in peril right now. And as we talk, you really help illuminate, at least in my mind, a few things that uh, there's the notion of physical health delivery, taking care of an ailment and treating. Then there's the notion of the emotional, you know, how a patient deals with, I have an ailment or my loved one does. And then there's the notion of informational. How do I get informed and educate myself so I can be empowered in my own care. And this enters the big audacious idea. And make sure to keep me honest on this. If I misspeak, you just tell me. But if we could talk a little bit about vital exchange and what struck me is this empowerment approach. Long ago, the talk or debate about socialized medicine was discussed. I'm not thinking of socialized medicine, but what I think I'm hearing is the concept of social medicine, where people can help each other peer to peer. Tell us a little bit more about the vision and the reality of vital exchange and how it might address that. So the concept of vital exchange came about because myself and my co-founder, Kato Patel, were good friends. And, you know, we're also in very similar stages in life where we are caregivers to elderly parents. We are parents of teenagers. We are also getting up in age. Um, so we're, we're dealing with a multiple spectrum of problems from you know, learning issues to children's mental health issues to our own chronic illnesses like, you know, the garden variety, diabetes and hypertension and that kind of stuff, as well as our parents' own, you know, age-related challenges. And what we realized was that our designation and our eliteness, so to speak, as healthcare entrepreneurs did not set us apart from foraging for information, feeling overwhelmed, not really knowing what the action items are. <laughs> it was pretty democratized, the, the amount of strife and, you know, overwhelming feeling that we had. And we started hitting the internet quite a bit. WebMD, Google searches, joining, you know, 15 different Facebook group. But at the end of the day, for someone that has a PhD in biomedical engineering and basically spent my entire career in the company of physicians and the healthcare system, really was also overwhelmed. It didn't really help me break it down so that I did know what exactly to do. And so we started to come about the concept of the exchange of vital information. And what do we mean by that? It was a series of conversations that we had between each other and other trusted people in our network that not only involved medical information, but it was also strategies to cope with the stressors. You know, I'm not feeling that great today. I'm really worried about, you know, my kid. And, and then getting strategies to deal with those. And we realized that medicine has really focused on increasing life expectancy. You know, obviously life expectancy has doubled. The social fiber in our societies has been frayed due to modern nuclear family structures and social norms. Each person has become an individual, and you know that human beings are social animals. And in, to some extent, we had the Harvard-educated doctor on one side and a Google search on the other side. And there was nothing in between. As a consumer, as a patient, I could not 
really find someone that I needed to talk to that had walked in my shoes before that would tell me, look, this is what I went through. Here's my authentic story. I empathize with you. And here's what you need to do. Here's what worked for me. And we really started to gravitate around the concept of crowdsourcing health knowledge. So basically, we started to come about this concept of what would provide a network using the highest end technology possible to connect people to what they needed, when they needed in the context of health. And that's how the concept of vital exchange came about. And we quickly found that a social community was the backbone of all of this. Imagine a patient at the center of the universe really accessing anything and everything they need and also whether it's a question around their child's disability or a question around their parents' Alzheimer's or a question around their own autoimmune disorders, a person is a whole being that has multiple needs. If you look at the healthcare system, we're a bunch of organ systems. You go to a cardiologist, they cannot comment about your diabetes. You got to go to an endocrinologist. You go to an endocrinologist, they can comment on your diabetes, but they cannot comment on your uterine issues. You got to go to a gynecologist, right? So it's great from an education standpoint, but it's not great from a patient standpoint because I don't see myself as a bunch of organs. I see myself as my mind and body and a person that really needs to connect with different things when I need it, how I need it. Mm. So that's kind of how we came about the concept. So, you know, one of the things, Charu, is the the fact that when we talk conceptually about systems and technology and, and, and these concepts, they can uh, sometimes overwhelm us. And maybe there's a, a story or an anecdote that helps illuminate uh, what we're talking about here. Do you have something that hits you that you'd like to share with us? So recently, a woman who is a relative of a woman that worked for me reached out because she was in chronic pain. She'd had her gallbladder removed five years ago. She was like in her 50s, and she had enormous pain from under her breast to her pelvic bone. And she had spent over $15,000 from her own pocket. She's not uh, in the medical field. And she had consulted with the two large hospital systems locally and at least gone to 12 different practitioners. And they were, she felt like she was being passed around. And she was passionately bitter about the healthcare system. And so when she reached out to me, the, the first thing that I did was really put those search terms you know, within Vital Exchange and really find out, okay, what are the different ways that she can be helped and really connected her to information where such kinds of gallbladder removal resulted in chronic pain. And I also put her up on a CrowdMed website, which had these disease detectives Long story short, she was taking 11 to 12 ibuprofens a day, and the physicians were telling her, well, that's the way it is. You know, you just have to live with this pain, and we've never heard about this before. So she wasn't getting answers that helped her deal with her pain, but more like the consequences of the medical procedure. So in this case, finally, the the result was not that she got rid of the pain, but that she came to terms with it. And she came to terms with going towards pain management. But even talking to patients like they're human beings, like not really saying, well, the percentage of the odds of pain after surgery is is really small. So I don't know what your problem is. It really diminishes the patient. 
So one of the key aspects of the mental condition and our spirit is to really help us understand where we are. Meet me where I'm at, not where you think I should be. So this is a key concept. So I do think that the healthcare system should stop being a system and think about being the healing part, like where a patient heals on their own terms, not on the terms defined by the insurance company. Hello, and welcome to Novel Conversations, a podcast about the world's greatest stories. I'm your host, Frank Lavallo, and for each episode of Novel Conversations, I talk to two readers about one book, and together, we summarize the story for you. We introduce you to the characters, we tell you what happens to them, and we read from the book along the way. So if you love hearing a good story, you're in the right place. Our ninth season is coming this fall. Tune in to hear from some of the all-time great authors, Charles Dickens, Jules Verne, F. Scott Fitzgerald, and more. Subscribe to Novel Conversations wherever you listen to podcasts. I heard once it said that there's a difference between sick care and health care, and we want to treat health, not necessarily sickness. If I'm accurate in the notion of actual care versus emotional support versus being informed, I'm sure it's all of the above, but if it's one of those that's most dominant, is this mostly about sort of a support system, emotional support, or is it in fact going to improve health care delivery as well? Great question. So it's both. At the core of Vital Exchange is a artificial intelligence-driven matching technology. So we collect basic information about the background of a patient. We also interpret what they're asking on the platform, how they're interacting, and pull that together to really connect them to other people that are similar to them information as well as resources, meaning providers, organizations that could come to their rescue, so to speak. We've created this technology that really addresses a wide spectrum of conditions from autoimmune conditions to cardiac conditions so that when a patient interacts on the platform, we are able to match them to whatever it is that they need at that moment. And we believe that it, this transcends patients' capacity or education level. It transcends their socioeconomic status. It transcends their ability to understand things because they can always find a menu of things that helps them understand what they are going through, and therefore enable them to have that conversation with their provider as well. Wonderful. I mean, I can identify. We all have different fears. Health and healthcare is such an amazing, a wonderful thing that humans have created. It also can be scary. And dependent upon our history, going into a clinical institutional setting can be so helpful yet intimidating. And I'm hearing that through the support, you can identify with someone else who's going through the same thing on a very human level, get that kind of warmth and love. And I think it's very powerful. How's the AMA and the medical establishment viewing this kind of technology and approach? So I think we found uh, physicians that are already thinking about this as a big audacious idea in terms of saying, yes, we need to do this. Healthcare will not be consumer centric. It won't be consumer oriented unless patients are in the driver's seat. That's one end of the spectrum. The other end of the spectrum, which is more of the, I'd say the middle of the, of the bell curve, um, are physicians that are intimidated by the concept of patients taking charge because there is that component during medical training 
coming from Hippocrates times, the word patient in inherently means a stupid person. So I think there is that concept. What Wait, what? Patients are going to take charge of it, but what do they know? They haven't gone to medical school. But, you know, here are two things that are very humbling. First of all, of the 8,000 some hours in the year, I'm spending pretty much all of them by myself, not in front of the doctor, not in a waiting room, not in front of a nurse, not in front of a therapist. So I need to manage, have strategies to manage that on my own, right? The second part of it is at the end of the day, the consequences of my actions are my own. You don't own them. The doctor doesn't own them. The healthcare system doesn't own them. The insurance company doesn't own them. I own them. At the end of the day, I bear the consequences. So to me, that's fabulous incentive to really say, hey, let's help you get better. Let's help you help yourself to get better. That's the philosophy. Well, one of the things here on Big Audacious Idea is that we discuss in many ways things that are timeless. And so here we sit when we record this. It's July 2020. And a listener might be hearing this uh, at a time when who knows what's happening with the pandemic, for example. It's unavoidable as a fact of life and an epic moment us, we humans are experiencing. And so there's this jolt to many tests of government, of economy, of health. What has, in your opinion, this moment in time done to us and how might it affect this concept we're discussing, do you think? Actually, this has really alerted the importance of kind of a decentralized system because when people could not, especially because of social isolation, go to the institutions to get care, the care had to come to them through you know, every single stakeholder that we've had conversations with in the last five months have said, hey, we had to scramble and get a telehealth solution in, in two weeks. We had to scramble. It was, you know, we were 2% remote because our physicians didn't believe in it or whatnot, or payment wasn't there for it. And now we're 100% remote, right? So let's examine that. Is that temporary or permanent? The thing is now as a patient, I have a taste of how much quality healthcare I can get delivered to my home, very much like Netflix or another streaming service or even my grocery delivery, right? So I have had a taste of that already that without really taking half a day of paid leave or unpaid leave from my employer, paying $20, $25 to pay parking in, in a hospital parking lot, wait in the waiting room for 45 minutes to an hour, fill out a paper form again that I've filled like 1500 times before for an eight minute appointment with my physician. Guess what? I'm not going back. Right. So this is really, really key. COVID has been really unfortunate. It's been really difficult. I know a lot of patients and businesses that went under. I know a lot of patients that suffered. But the reality is this is going to revolutionize healthcare because now that need has been forced on us. So what change would have happened in five or 10 years in terms of digital transformation and remote therapy delivery now has become consumer-centric. The consumer is saying, hey, wait a second, we could do this before, right? So at the cost of an internet connection, then it becomes about democratizing internet connectivity, making sure that every home has data plans. Guess what? 
if every home has an internet access and the government or anybody could focus on that, charity, whatever, then education could be delivered remotely and so can healthcare. So you really start to gravitate around the central common denominator of digital connectivity and that enabling everything that a patient needs. So I'm super excited about this. Well, it's wonderful to hear your energy, that passion that you uh, share with us. Part of the, the human experience is to somehow figure out a way to be abundant amidst uncertainty or perceived scarcity. And there's a reason there's the saying, necessity is the mother of innovation. It is indeed. And what we're finding now, I read an article about in the business context, an executive was saying it's almost laughable. We used to justify spending $2,000 in two days to fly across the country for a one-hour meeting. And almost to the point, like, what were we thinking? And so sometimes jolts like this force us into using what we have right in front of our fingertips. So with in the context of, of healthcare, as you just described, I can identify with all those steps and waiting in the waiting room and getting downtown and all that stuff. And, and here we are, we have this right in front of us. So it's a great opportunity. Yet at the same time, you alluded to a very social and important philosophical point, and that is where is there a new divide perhaps? And does this bring greater equity in broad care or does it create a division if we're not careful? So I think that if we accept that this is a divide and then decide to solve it, then it'll get solved. I do think that the number of players, Fortune 100 companies to you know governments that can actually get into the space and help is pretty tremendous because, look, I already am streaming. I have three different streaming services in my home. It's been in entertainment and in media for a long time to really bring that access to more households so that education and healthcare can be delivered is doable. To me, it's a technology access problem, which I believe can be solved because we're always innovating in that area. So what we've done at Vital Exchange is also put together a plan to bring in providers, especially those small business providers whose jobs are at peril. They're excellent. They have small practices that are now drying up due to face-to-face issues and really bringing them on the platform to provide them streaming appointments, as well as access to this community. We are serving the disability community first, so from autism to other developmental disability and caregivers of those. And there's a wide spectrum of providers from legal, educational, therapy providers, speech therapy, occupational therapy, et cetera, that now can use vital exchange to deliver their remote services. Listening to you, I just heard such a an important thing that's coming through what you're describing. Should we and if we have the collective will and intention to do so? And this is perhaps as we round out our discussion, I'd love to hear your your challenge to us. But I'm hearing if we care to do this, if we care to care, then we can fix this. And that's such an important thing. And before we go into that, Tell us just a quick tidbit around the business part of this. What are the implications for businesses and entrepreneurs as we look toward the future, do you think? So I I think this is all about aligning incentives. Our approach has been to start with the consumer side, 
you know, it's a great principle of Austrian economics, preserve consumer sovereignty. So that's what we've done. And we've added the community piece. And now we're taking the consumer and the community and going to large organizations, whether they're wellness provider or hospital systems, or else small businesses, which are small service providers or individual service providers that don't have the big reach and saying, here is a community of patients that's here for you and creating a marketplace that says, you know what, you access the community, we provide you community as a service and we're telling the consumer, you get your pick of the best providers. And when you ask a question about a GI issue or whatever, how about you get information, you get peers that are suffering the similar GI issues, as well as a bunch of five-star providers that you can actually click a button and get a conversation going. So really we're trying to bring the action to the patient because one of the key things here also is the procrastination element, right? So I've been asked to go get a a visit to check my cholesterol and all that stuff. I don't wanna do it. Mm -hmm. Why would I go there to get a report card that's poor, right? So I'm gonna procrastinate that. So what if I made it easy for you to have a very non-confrontational conversation with a health coach that says, talk to me. Let's see how things are going. So bring that to them. And I'm super, super excited about that. And that's our business side. So one of the other key tenets to go back to your original question as if we acknowledge the need, it'll get solved, is I'm a big believer that human greed is a lot more powerful than human philanthropy. So as long as there's money to be made and incentives are aligned, it'll thrive. The problem is there's no scalability when you have charity and people are donating things because incentives are not aligned. So Vital Exchange is all about aligning those incentives and creating a very equitable marketplace so that the value exchange is what fuels the growth of the network. And that's what's going to create that equitable exchange and make it scalable. Well, you're a story of doing well and doing good all in one. And you're right. If there's practical business sense and incentive aligned with doing good work for others, it's a, it's a beautiful thing that you're doing for us and the platform can do for many. If you were to leave our listeners with something we can do or think, what would that be? So I think from that standpoint, I would say think about yourself as a healthcare consumer Do not put any less due diligence or research into what your doctor is telling you or your hospital is asking you to do any less than what you would do to buy a pair of shoes or a washing machine on Amazon.com. Health is also about diligence. There are tons of options out there. When you get that first prescription for a drug, don't just go and take it figure out what are the other choices that match your lifestyle. When you're asked to replace your knee, say, hey, I want to know whether there are other ways by which I can rehabilitate out of this. Because you have to understand that advice may not necessarily come from alignment with the value system that you have. It comes from the education and the background of the one that's meeting out that advice. So it's very important that you engage the other side in a conversation that kind of tells them, hey, I want to go back to playing tennis. I don't want to put any drugs in my system. I'm willing to work three months on rehabilitation. I'm not willing to pay the copay. So it's really important that we start to act like consumers of the platform. Charu, thank you so much for joining us today. 
very happy to be here and talk about Vital Exchange. I've been here talking with Dr. Charo Ramanathan, and it's big, audacious idea. I'm Craig James, your host. Thanks for listening. So medicine and healthcare is about the individual. It's about us as individuals. And if we look historically, centralized stakeholder-based systems, well, you know, they created good things, but there was also a lack of accountability on both ends of the spectrum. So if we can think peer-to-peer, if we can create a platform of peer support, as well as institutional health care, now we're on to something. And if we really focus on the outcome, outcome-based results, sure, you know, we need to make money as a business and healthcare practitioners, of course, need to be paid. But if we can keep our eye on the prize of the outcome and positive outcomes, that's what healthcare needs. And lastly, if we can make it scalable. Incremental change, well, that's good. But in this day and age, we need exponential change and scalability. I'm Craig James, your host, and you've been listening to Big Audacious Idea, the show that invites you to think big. Let us know what you think about our chat with Charu by tweeting me at cjamescatstrat. If you enjoyed today's podcast, please rate and review us in your podcast app. It really helps. Big Audacious Idea is a production of Evergreen Podcasts. Learn more about our podcasts at evergreenpodcasts.com. I would like to thank our producer and audio engineer, William Pritz, production director, Bridget Coyne, and to my co-executive producer, Michael D'Aloya. Thanks for listening. And until next time, don't just think audacious, be audacious. We often hear about the individuals who took the oath of office to become the chief executive. But what about the other people who play a role in each administration or the events that may not be as well known, but that contribute to the reshaping of the office of the American presidency? On the presidencies of the United States, we explore each administration beyond just the person holding the highest elected office in order to better understand the history that brought us to the modern day presidency. I hope you'll join me on this journey through the annals of presidential history. Presidencies can be found anywhere fine podcasts can be found and is a proud member of the Evergreen Podcast Network. This podcast was produced with the support of the Ohio Motion Picture Tax Credit and in partnership with the Ohio Development Services Agency.